Hello, welcome to episode 15 of Wealth Talk. My name is Christian Rodwell, the Membership Director. And today, I'm not joined by Mr. Kevin Whelan. However, I do have some company, and I think you're going to especially enjoy what we have in store over the coming weeks for you. So what are the seven pillars, and why is it important to understand what they are and how they work? Well, if wealth can only be created from the ownership of assets and from Kevin's exhaustive research over the last 30 years or so, there are only seven. There aren't more. There are only seven. And it really makes the process of building wealth very scientific and quite simple and straightforward, albeit you have to choose the right combination. And there's a lot to learn, but there are only seven ways to build wealth. So once you understand them, you can get to a much better place of A, working out which assets fit you and B, which combination of assets to work with, because it's really important to recognize that one asset will not create enough wealth because it will be uncertain. Okay. And no asset is without risk. So over the next seven episodes of Wealth Talk, we're going to be inviting members of the Wealth Builders community to come and share how they have been able to generate recurring income from each of the seven pillars. And today we're going to begin with pillar one, which is home capacity. So what do I mean by home capacity? Well, if you live in a home, the traditional way that people have turned their home into some form of income, recognizing that when you would live in a home, it's not really regarded as an asset because it's somewhere to live and stay, raise your family. So how they turn their home into an asset is almost always too late. And most people turn their home into an asset when they downsize. And when they downsize, they tend to do that at the end of their working life. And almost always when they recognize their wealth building has not been done well. And as a result of that, then they move to a smaller home, often undervaluing the extra income that could be created from the downsize. So the key is to recognize that your home can be turned into an asset in other ways. So let's dive in now and hear from some people who have done just that. Hey, welcome, Bronwyn, to Wealth Talk. How are you today? Hi, Chris. I'm very well, thank you. And where are you in the world right now? Oh, I'm in Queensland in Australia. So in the Whitsundays, beautiful, beautiful place. Excellent. And what we're going to be discussing today is is definitely, you know, um, all centred around that freedom to be able to travel and, and see the world, which I know is really important to you. So why don't we just start off, Bronwyn, by, if you don't mind, giving us a little brief introduction as to who you are and, and your connection with Wealth Builders. Yes, of course. So uh, yes, Bronwyn Verncombe. Um, I've known Kevin Whelan for about five years. I was trying to work it out, actually. It's, it was when I first started in property and learning about property. I was obviously looking for funding, as you always are, and uh, Kevin, I was introduced to Kevin by somebody who wanted to lend me some money from his uh, SIP and or his SAS. So I was borrowing from other people's um, pension funds when I first started out. Um, I then created my own uh, a couple of years later, but that's another story. Yes, well, pensions are pillar two, and we're going to focus on pension one today. And I'd love to hear, Bronwyn, your um your story of how you have utilized your home to generate recurring income and give you that freedom as well to to travel so um what's yeah what's what's your first sort of piece of advice on on one way of going around this well i'd like to share with you something's a little bit unusual i mean the normal would be you know you release equity from your property you know that's fairly standard but but something that we've chosen to do um 
really came from following our dream. It was something that um, we both wanted to go out and do some adventures. And my husband decided to do the round the world yacht race, which takes um, nearly 12 months of time. And in the preparation for that, it was, well, what are we going to do with the home? Am I going to follow him or am I going to stay at home and just travel out occasionally? Well, I knew which one I really wanted to do, <laughs> which was to follow him. And that's what I ended up doing. So so our, our choice of what to do with the house was about renting it. Well, if we rent it um, at a market rate, that actually we can make a profit from it. We can actually create an income. Um, so rather than being a liability, as quite often it is if you're living in it, um, as long as we, we had someone to manage it for us, then we, we can rent it. So we, we single let it to a family for the period we were away. So it was fortunate that we managed to find somebody or an agent found somebody for us. Um, we had to let it unfurnished, of course, for that period of time. So we did have to put our furniture into storage. But that worked brilliantly for the year that, that we were traveling. Um, when we came back, of course, we furnished it again. And then we both said, well, what do we want to be doing in the future? We've given the amazing adventure we had. So we came up with the idea that we could leave our furniture in it and then short-term let it. So um, provide a, like an Airbnb <clears throat> house um, and let it for holiday purposes. That gives us a much greater income, but also more importantly, gives us flexibility. So not only did we have our own furniture in there, we, we've sort of got to make sure we haven't got too much, too many trinkets and things, but, um, you know, having an, enough basics in there for it to be comfortable. Um, and then for us not to have the cost of the storage, but for us to book it. So we started doing this last September. We booked it for Christmas for, so that we as a family with the two children we've got who are in their twenties, we could actually stay or be at our home. Um, so what we do now is we, we either house sit or we travel um, when the when the house is being let. Uh, we found that actually it seems to be very popular, even though it's quite a large house. Um, so we've been doing short term house sitting and we've been doing long term house sitting. And that's what we're doing in Queensland now. We're here for three months. We're going to write a book. Um, and because it's for that length of, of time, it just means that you can settle and you can do some fun things while you're away. Uh, so the income from the property, it is being managed by somebody else in the village. Uh, it is earning us more than it would be as a single let. So it's something I felt would be really important to share, you know, start thinking a bit more innovatively. <laughs> and uh, it, it, it's actually great fun to go and sit for other people in their houses. And actually, it doesn't cost us a penny. So the wonderful lady that owns the house I'm in now, she just wants us to water her garden for us, uh, for her. So uh, that's really not a, a big deal for us. <laughs> so Fantastic. Great. Well, that sounds great. And it just gives you the flexibility and convenience. As you say, you can just, you know, make up your mind, book your own place when you want to come back. And it's, it's pretty much as easy as that, it sounds. Well, it is. It is. I mean, I do. I do teach people this this strategy, uh, holiday letting. Well, thanks so much for sharing that with us today, Bronwyn. Hey, so welcome, Stephanie. How are you? Thank you. Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. How are you? Very good. Very good. So, why don't you just start by introducing yourself and your connection to wealth builders? 
Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Stephanie Aitken and I got connected to Wealth Builders when I was starting on my property journey. And I heard that there was a possibility of being able to unlock your pension to be able to invest in property. And I, my background is I used to be a lawyer, used to work for MTV for many years and had moved into corporate coaching and training and so forth. And uh, so I was connected with Wealth Builders. I was able to move my pension into what's known as a SAS, a small self-administered scheme. And um, through that journey, got to know Kevin, his values, and I thought what SASs are are amazing and also really aligned with with what Wealth Builders was seeking to achieve. And actually started to work more closely with Kevin. And uh, over the past few years, I'm a speaker for Wealth Builders and I... Um, help out with various projects and so forth, but but I still do my other activities. So I feel like we're we're kind of part of the, the, the family. Definitely, definitely one of the family, yeah. without a doubt. <laughs> and and of course, we're not focusing on specifically the the pension pillar um, in this episode. But what we are focusing on is pillar one, which is home capacity. Yeah. And you've got you've got a story to share, haven't you, of how you've used this to generate some income from your property. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and obviously, there's multiple strands of building wealth uh, under the Wealth Builders model. And many years ago, I'd read the Robert Kiyosaki book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I'm sure many people have read, and this concept of your own residential home being a liability. And through, you know, being educated and being around Kevin, thought, well, actually, there's something I can do here. It doesn't just have to be a liability. So I own a, a two-bedroom flat in Clapham Junction, very central location, nicely decorated. And I thought, well, why don't I, when I do a fair amount of traveling, when I'm traveling, why don't I put it on Airbnb? And a couple of things. I know some people feel a bit funny about that. So I did have to come over, overcome a psychological barrier to, to thinking about other people being in my home. But I, I, I kind of got over it and uh, focused on the on the benefit, and but I knew that I didn't want to have to manage it myself because that would be too much, particularly traveling uh, and being on the road, not being able to manage all the different intricacies of it. So I started looking for management companies, and I spoke to several and picked the one that felt like the best fit for me, and so. <clears throat> what this management company does is actually takes care of everything uh, from start to finish. So they take over my, uh, my Airbnb account and they also put the property on different sites. So it's not just Airbnb, but obviously Airbnb is, is the, the primary one. And they deal with guest requests. They vet the guests. They, they arrange the booking. They're cleaners that come that will clean the property uh, do all of the linen, towels, and everything. So they really handle everything, which is exactly what I wanted. And they only charge a 12% fee, which I I think is quite reasonable given that they're doing all aspects of it. I don't know what you think, but um mm. but but that felt like a good yeah a good amount, um a fair amount. And so I've been doing this now for a year and it's you know how I do it just to give some tips for people if they're listening so how I've managed to do it I've got a, a big storage cupboard in the middle of my flat I'm quite lucky and what I did was put a lock on that and every time I put the flat to make it available for short short lets I put away everything anything valuable or anything that would uh w- that I wouldn't want to have to pay to replace and um and, and I put that in the cupboard and I lock it. 
And so that gives me a, a level of comfort. And then I also create space in, 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 in my own wardrobes and all around the house and leave some instructions for how to do things and when to water the plants and so forth. And so it works, it works very well from that perspective. Mm. What else could yeah. I tell you about it? Well, it sounds sounds like a very hands off solution that you've got there, and obviously you you pay a little bit of an extra premium, as you said, for for them the agency to come in and do that. Um, are there any drawbacks at all to to this strategy, or have you had any experiences where you've learned how you would do things differently in the future? Yeah, so the the benefit of using an external management company is obviously they're handling everything, and you don't have to what I found, I have had some challenges because I think how this particular company, and I won't name any names, but how this particular company is set up, and it's quite a a well-known brand, is to have everything as automated as possible, which I'm sure many of your your listeners will will know is, is a good thing to do in a business, have it automated, have systems in place and so forth. But I think sometimes it does mean things can fall between the cracks. And I also get the sense that it's a company that is rapidly growing and then some of the teams aren't joined up. So for example, what has happened uh, once, and I'm almost reluctant to share it because it may put people off. I still think it's a great strategy, but I have come back and the guest was still in the property because there was a mix up on the, the date availability. Now, luckily that just meant I had to sit around for an extra day. I'd just flown back from Asia and I was a bit tired and it really wasn't convenient and I was a bit peeved. But um, but it got resolved fairly um, fairly rapidly. I have had I've come back and I've seen. So what they do is they'll always at the end of a stay they'll clean it, getting ready for the next day. But as the host, I'll come back and and um, and come back into the flat already already set up for guests, and then I sort of uh, pack it down. And once or twice, the quality of the clean hasn't been great. Um, so there's been things like that. So it, I, I won't deny that it hasn't been a completely smooth process. And what I'm going to do now is actually look to change management company and use a different one, uh, which, which what they do. So how it works with my current company is they put a key box, which is about five minutes from the property, which means that the guests are uh, given the code for the key box and the location, they can let themselves in and then they put the key, the key back. So it, it makes it very um, uh, streamlined and easy to do. The other company that uh, I'm considering will actually come and have somebody in person to do the bookings. It may well be that I have less in pocket because they they may have higher fees because of that, but they are checking the guests in and out. And I get a sense they might have a higher uh, level of quality control. So the other thing just I think it would be useful for people to be aware of in terms of other potential risks is obviously damage within the property. I've actually found that guests have been very respectful and uh, I think it's part of the, 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 the quality of the vetting process and uh, I haven't really had too many issues. been some minor things and you can get specialist insurance. There's a company called Guardhog which will provide insurance for short lets and it's it you can actually link it into your booking system so that it automatically creates cover only for when you make the 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 flat available and have bookings so that's really convenient and i think there's a premium of about 100 pounds on that insurance policy yeah, so the way i see it great. for me yeah so for, so for me i think anything under 100 pounds and i think that would 
that would irritate me to have to replace like my Nutribullet or my uh well some other things as well um I just I just lock them away and then I know I have the comfort of knowing that if anything else happens that's more serious then I have insurance and in fact Airbnb do have a level of insurance but but they it's at their discretion yeah that's great. Well, I was going to ask you about insurance. You covered that off. And I know in the past, other people, if they have loft like storage space, then they can put all of their stuff in there and keep it out of the way. So, um, mm. so that sounds great. Well, thanks for sharing. Can Steph. I add one more thing just, for, just to help people? Um, yeah, yeah. So one thing to be aware of, I'm living in London and your listeners may be relatively savvy about this already, but if you're not, it's, it's important to be aware that there is a limit of a maximum of 90 days that you can make your property available as a short let. And it's something that's done on a a local level in London. And councils have different policies around how much they enforce it, how strict they are with it. But it's something to be aware of. So don't think, oh, great, I'm living in London. Let's just put it on for the whole time. I think some people are doing that, but that's a risky strategy because you can be fined. So, um, so yeah, important to be aware that there is that 90 day cap in London and outside of London do check. I think most places are okay, but it's, that's, that's worth checking to make sure that you don't inadvertently go over that. And the other thing to check, of course, is your, if you have a flat, your lease, your leasehold contract to make sure that it allows you to do that. If it's freehold, then obviously that's a different situation, but but certainly there's, and particularly if you've got new build flats and so forth, I think a lot of them are the developers and are quite savvy and are putting in very explicit clauses to prevent short stay lets and people basically Airbnb those, those properties. That's great. Well, thank you for sharing so much information there, Steph. I'm sure our listeners have gained a lot from that. And um, let's hope it continues nice and well for you in the future. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I hope, I hope that's been helpful. So, hey, Carol, welcome to Wealth Talk. And um, you have got a really good example of a way that you've been able to use home capacity um, to actually advance your property investments as well. So really looking forward to hearing that. But before you share that, maybe you can just share how you um, first got connected with Wealth Builders. Yes. Uh, hi, Chris. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, I think it was back in 2000 and uh, back end of 2015 and um, was progressing the uh, property journey. I'm a full-time property investor and developer and went to uh, PPN Knightsbridge and I met Stephanie there and uh, Kevin. And um, that's where our relationship started as far as trying to um, uh, being, I guess, enlightened to how I can access my pension that I'd worked very hard for, uh, and how I could make it work even harder for me by transitioning it over to a SAS. And as a result of that, I was so impressed with what I could do uh, with my pension pot that because I'm a mentor and I teach other people about property, I felt it wasn't really fair that I kept this amazing secret to myself. So now I'm, a, I'm an ambassador uh, for Kevin and Wealth Builders, and I like to share story of how SASs have helped me build my property portfolio and how it can help other people. So that's really my connection uh, to Kevin and Wealth Builders. Yeah. And for anyone listening, you know, who's not sure what SAS is, we're going to be diving into that next week, which is Pillar 2 Pensions. But I'd love to hear um, your example, Carol, of how you managed to actually turn your home into an asset by 
releasing some money from that? Um, yes. Okay. So I guess it was back in 2013, moved down to Southampton and um, bought a property and managed to negotiate a really good uh, deal on it. And over the space of about two, two and a half years, I'd managed to increase the value of it just through um, smart buying and also through natural capital appreciation. The value increased by about £60,000, so about a 20% uplift in the property. Now, um, my partner at the time and I, um, we used to squirrel away our money and pay down um, our, our, our mortgage on our own house. Um, that was one of our strategies. Whilst we leverage up on uh, buying our properties for our professional portfolio for our home, we'd made a strategic decision to um, really just not have any um, mortgage on it, just for our, our sanity. That was our approach at the time. And it made us feel quite safe. However, as we progressed uh, the property journey, um, I realized, you know, it's going to be one of the cheaper forms of, of financing, um, you know, really low rates that I think it was about one and a half percent we were paying. And when I compared that to trying to raise funds elsewhere, I know I'd be paying way more, particularly because I'd have to find additional cash pots to a mortgage. And I could be paying um, for private finance, angel financing, upwards of eight percent. So what we decided to do was um, go against the grain of what our original strategy was and put a uh, mortgage on it to allow us to go and buy a, um, it was a derelict property. In fact, it was in another county, it was up in Buckinghamshire, and um, an old lady had lived there. She died in it. She didn't have any close friends or family and um, whilst it had gone through probate and I guess as she was older and she's a bit disabled, she'd never looked, she hadn't looked after the property for a very long time. So it was in a really bad state um, and um, you would not have been able to get a mortgage on it. However, I saw the potential because it had originally been two uh, properties that she'd knocked through. She hadn't knocked through it in a great design, it wouldn't meet modern standards. Um, it was still very pokey and very old fashioned. And, you know, there was water coming through the ceilings. And it was just wild, um, you know, garden and everything. Um, so you won't be able to get a mortgage on it. And um, I thought, wow, I could take this property, turn it into two properties. We needed to move to the area. So we were going to move um, into one of the cottages and we were going to extend it, the houses, and, and extend it. And then the other one we were going to sell. So it would make a really nice, tidy profit on all of that. So by um, leveraging the equity in our home that we lived in at the time, we, we put the mortgage on it, pulled out a ton of cash, um, which was enough to buy, in effect, these two houses and um, buy it for cash, which meant I got an amazing deal. Plus, not many people were interested in buying a property like that. They couldn't see the potential. So again, I think I negotiated about 60 grand off the asking price. It'd been on the market a long time. And because I could move quickly, it'd been a probate. The family, you know, they weren't interested in inheriting a house like this at all. Um, so they wanted to get rid. So they were quite happy doing the deal. They finally were able to cash in um, against the will. Um, and so I got this property 
And uh, not only did I have enough money by releasing the equity to uh, buy the properties for cash and get a cracking deal, but also to pay for the works. Um, What actually happened was that um, despite it originally being two properties and you'd think, oh, planning set a president, that should be a no-brainer, we got turned down from planning uh, because of the visibility displays um, going on to a, um, it's the A41, so it's a 40 mile an hour road, so you needed visibility displays of 90 metres. And um, despite there being lots of other houses there, and it used to be two properties, we got turned down. But of course, like a good property investor, um, you always have your contingency plans. So we knew that we would still be able to make money by converting it into um, an executive home. So that's what we did. It's a nice, large executive home. And uh, I decided to um, move into it myself because life also happens to you as well. And um, my partner at the time decided he wanted to go to um, grass was greener on the other side, apparently. So um, uh, what this enabled me to do was um, have a house, a beautiful house of my own that I designed. And then I was able to put a mortgage on this property and um, I was able to buy him out of this home as well. And um, at that time, we'd also sold the Southampton one and paid down that mortgage as well. So in effect, it enabled me to uh, capitalize on the equity growth. And by using that, I was able to find a cracking deal where I wouldn't have been able to uh, progress with such cheap financing. Um, It would have been very expensive to get the development financing, plus also top it up with private financing. So it enabled me me to do um, a deal that I wouldn't have normally been able to do unless I knew that releasing the equity uh, could give you an amazing chance, a very cheap form of financing. So that's probably it. There's a lot there. Uh, did it answer the question? Or you, have you got any more? I think so. Yeah. No, I think there's a lot of lessons there for people and, um, you know, really opening people's eyes to what can be done. Um, Carol, is there anything for anyone who's maybe hasn't done um, releasing equity and refinancing in the past? Is there anything that you would you would say they need to look out for or any kind of words of wisdom uh, around releasing equity from your property? So if you think about releasing it from your home, um, I think there's a bit of a mindset to go to get over, really, because um, we are all probably programmed to try and pay down our home because it's the roof over our head and it gives you a level of comfort. So psychologically, you've got to get over that hurdle. Um, and how I did it, um, I'm actually a chartered accountant by trade, so I'm naturally risk averse. Um, and so... I did need to get over that mindset. Um, And the reason I was able to do it was because I knew once I'd released the equity, I knew my numbers, I knew how to be an investor. I knew that I would be able to pay that all back and still have made a huge amount of money. So all I was doing was really looking as much, like I was looking at money as if it's a commodity. And like you buy in the skills of, um, I guess, architects, surveyors and things like that. I was just buying in uh, money to enable me to get far more profits um, on a deal at a cheap form of financing. And I knew at the end of the day that I would be paying back 
um, all of the all of the debt. So that was the plan. Temporarily, just take out the leverage on my home with a plan to repay that back through the profits and the growth I would generate on the project that I was using the money for. Now, as it turned out, um, because I had split up from my partner, I ended up, we did have a totally unencumbered home property again, but I've now been able to use the power of leverage again to be able to buy him out of the property. So now it's all fully in my name. So my plan now is to do another project to then make sure that my own home is unencumbered. So I use it like an elastic band, my home equity. I use it for a specific purpose to allow me to progress either stuff that's happened to me personally or on a professional basis. But I always have a plan to then repay it back and then I'm okay for a while. But then if I need it again, I will go and do the same thing as long as I have a plan to repay it. Brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing that with us today, Carol. Well, I hope you found that interesting and inspiring and it's got your brain thinking as to ways that you can turn your home into an asset and generate additional streams of income. And I'd really love to hear from you if you have also done this. There are many, many different ways that this strategy could be approached and we've just touched on three of the the common ways today. But if perhaps you've got something that you want to share, then the best way to do that would either be to head on over to wealthbuilders.co.uk forward slash wealth talk and you can push the orange button on that page and leave us a voice message and we potentially can play that in a future episode and share that with everyone else listening. And the other way is to get connected to the Wealth Builders community. We're nearly at a thousand members in the private Facebook group. And if you're not already in there, then head on over to wealthbuilders.co.uk forward slash Facebook and you can introduce yourself let people know that you've been listening to the podcast and you've been inspired by some of these principles that myself and Kevin have been talking about over the last few weeks and ask questions, learn from the community. We've got a huge variety of people in there who are at different stages of their wealth journey and focused on many, many different strategies across the seven pillars. So I look forward to seeing you in there. I look forward to seeing you next week on the next episode of Wealth Talk when we're going to be looking at pillar two, which is pensions, and surely one of the biggest sources of finance out there that people just do not realize they're sitting on. So don't forget to tune in next week. I know you're going to love it. See ya. See ya.